You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon, and on this edition, we're going to be discussing the latest Arsenal-related transfer reports. And believe me, just like every other day of this month, there are plenty of them doing the rounds. We're going to run through some of them. We're going to discuss some of them. We're going to give you uh, an opportunity to throw your questions uh, over and, of course, uh, we'll be having whatever other conversation comes uh, up in my crazy mind throughout the show. Uh, so looking forward to this one. Uh, apologies to our live viewers that I was a couple of minutes late. I was grabbing a cup of tea. The problem with having this little man cave slash studio thing, look, don't get me wrong, it's great because otherwise you'd be tuning into the podcast and listening to toddlers running up and down in the middle of the show. But if I'm not working here in the morning, prior to going live. It is absolutely freezing during the winter, absolutely freezing. And I didn't think this morning to come down here and put the heating on in advance so that when I arrived, it would be nice and warm, which is why I'm wrapped up like an Eskimo and I've got a hot cup of tea in my hands. But anyway, we move. Uh, The other thing with starting the stream a couple of minutes later than advertised is that it gives more of you time to log on to it. Um, And I know that a few of you uh, tend to jump in and say, oh shit, I'm late, missed the start. So yeah, if I advertise it for 12.30 and we start at 12.33, 12.34, no harm done. I'm Greek. I'm not supposed to be on time. But anyway, let's um, let's uh, begin discussing some of these stories. But I, I just want to kick off the show by saying, you know, it's, it's clear, right, that as the days pass, it's looking less and less likely that Arsenal are going to get anything major over the line. Arsenal are going to break the bank and bring in a a top world-class striker. It's looking more and more unlikely, but I just, I'm kind of getting a bit fed up and and, and I'm a little bit drained by the kind of overreaction that seems to be on social media. And and in the last few weeks, um, I have stepped back a little bit from Twitter um, for, for obvious reasons, but as well, it's just uh, the more I, I just look at it and think about it in a complete different way now. And I'm finding that it just feels like a, a platform for people to just complain. And a lot of the time, the complaints are justified. A lot of the time, though, it's it, it's a little bit unnecessary. It's a little bit over the top. It's It's uncalled for. I mean, at the start of the season, I think every single one of us, right, looked at the transfer window and said it was a relatively good transfer window for Arsenal. Was it perfect? No. I think the centre of midfield was one area that we really, really failed in um, and an area that we chose to, you know, I guess not prioritise and and chose to kick down, uh, kick the can down the road in a sense. And we ended up in a position where due to suspensions and COVID and Ainsley Maitland-Niles leaving and the African Cup of Nations, we were short in that area of the park. And being short in that area of the park, I think, has cost us dearly. It's cost us in the FA Cup. I'm not sure that it cost us necessarily in the Carabao Cup because, you know, there's an argument, there's a strong case that even a, you know, a really strong Arsenal side, even the best possible side that, uh, you know, that Mikel Arteta could have named, could have quite easily gotten beat by Liverpool because they're a better side than us, right? They're at a completely different level. They're at a different stage in their process, if you like. So I'm not going to say it completely cost us the Carabao Cup. I don't think we'd have won the Carabao Cup anyway. And then you've got to beat Chelsea in the final as well, which is a, a big task in itself. So I don't think that, you know, we were going to win the Carabao Cup, but obviously disappointing that we didn't have the best possible chance to to go on and at least compete for it because of the problems that we had. Obviously, it's cost us in the league. Um, you know, we, we should have beaten Burnley. And although I don't think that we were bullied or dominated in midfield against Burnley, I think we were actually probably lacking creative spark. And I don't think that, you know, having... 
Xhaka or Partey necessarily in that side would have made the world of difference. For example, you know, we managed to get Odegaard and Smithrow and Martinelli all in the side as a consequence of, of being without another central midfielder. You're not going to tell me that Partey or that Xhaka are more creative than Odegaard. So I, I, I think, look, we're in a place where we've had a really difficult month. We've got to understand that this team were always going to have these ups and downs. I think the sensible Arsenal fans out there believe that, you know, regardless of what your stance is on the project, this team right now is not perfect. And therefore, some of these dips in form, poor results are, are going to be expected. But what really drives me mad is not even the discussion about the football, not even the discussion about how Arsenal are moving forward, not even the discussion about whether or not Mikel Arteta is the right man or if Edu's the right man or, or whatever. It's the clamour for a new toy that drives me mad. It's the way people get sucked into rumours and get sucked into stories. Look, it's great to keep your eyes across the transfer market. It's great to understand what's going on. It's great to understand who's being discussed, who Arsenal could potentially move for. But people have to learn that just because you read it on Twitter, it doesn't mean it's true. And it doesn't mean it's going to come to fruition. And the minute you understand that not everything you read is going to come true and is going to come to fruition, the easier it is to move on from what I would class as setbacks in the transfer market. So Dusan Vlavic, when that first came up, I wasn't convinced. I wasn't convinced that there was a story there. As the month went on and more and more people started to report it, more and more people started to confirm that Arsenal held an interest in the player, then you start to kind of get your hopes up slightly, only to have them shattered when he decides to join Juventus. Now, I get that one. When it comes to... Um, Dusan Vlavic, I get the frustration, but it's where you then point that frustration that's really, really important. Arsenal, as a football club, have done everything within their power to try and get a, what many people would describe as, world-class striker in. But it's not always in your own hands. It's not always solely down to you. The player needs to want the move. And as I've said time and time again, when you're talking about Arsenal today, we are a club that are trying to convince players to come on the basis of what we might become, what we can become and the direction in which we're heading, as opposed to the destination in which we currently find ourselves today. And that's not very easy to do. People will talk about money. Well, we put the money on the table for Dusan Vlavic. We met Fiorentina's asking price. And by all accounts, we were willing to meet Dusan Vlavic's personal demands too. But unfortunately, this one was out of our hands. And as a consequence, it's not gone through because Vlavic has decided and his representatives have decided that he'd rather go to Juventus. And so we have to pick ourselves up and move on from that. But that is not on the club for me. Some of the decisions we've made, i.e. not signing a central midfielder last summer, i.e. maybe the timing of allowing Maitland-Niles to go. I think the club have come out and or Mikel Arteta has come out and justified that quite fairly. And so I'm I'm less angry about it than I was prior to that explanation. But I think there are other things we should be looking at and questioning. And we shouldn't necessarily be so quick to question what's going on in the transfer market. Arsenal spent big in the summer. Nobody thought that we were going to spend big in January. So why did all this frenzy come about? Why is everybody all of a sudden outraged, unhappy, disappointed, frustrated at the fact that the window is, is in its last four days and we haven't done anything? Maybe that was always going to be the case. That's the point I'm trying to make. And, and the sooner this window shuts and we can focus back on the football, get players back fit and available, have our players come back from the AFCON and, and focus on achieving our objectives on the field, the better as far as I'm concerned, because I felt like at the back end of last year, for the first time in a long time, and with everything that kind of happened around the Liverpool game, we were united. As a fan base, we were united and all singing from the same hymn sheet. And I really loved that and enjoyed that and thrived off that. Arsenal fans jumping on social media or wherever it may be, wherever it is that they voice their views and opinions and, and being one and being united believing that we were moving in the right direction and calling out those who look to chop us down, who look to 
criticize us when it's unwarranted when it's warranted when it's justified i think we're very good as a fan base at reflecting on what's not got what's not gone right and and being quite self critical doesn't mean we want to hear other people saying it though and that's the kind of point yet over the course of january with all that's happened with the results with the uh, lack of signings up until this stage i feel like we're divided again and that question about the project keeps coming to the fore over and over and over and over again. And I would say this, I said at the start of the season, and a lot of people said at the start of the season, that this was the season in which they were going to judge Mikel Arteta. He had a big summer transfer window, got in a whole host of players that he and Edu identified. They came in, for the most part, they've done really well up until now. And come the end of the season, we need to see real progress. And that will determine whether we press on and continue down this road or if we hit the brakes, do a U-turn and head back up the other way. That was the general consensus. That was, in my opinion, the most sensible way of looking at this season. You know, last season was a massive disappointment. Everyone knows it. Everybody felt it. But to be in the hunt for the top four going into February has exceeded my expectations for Arsenal this season up until this point. Now, you know, it could quite easily go wrong. This could quite easily blow up in our faces and we could quite easily end up in seventh or eighth position. But I can't be losing my mind before we failed. You can't lose your mind about something that you've not done yet or something that hasn't happened yet. You might think that you can see it coming and you might express concerns about it. But I just think the the reaction and the meltdown to a combination of things over the month of January results and transfers has just been over the top. And it's so draining and it's honestly, it's tiring and it makes you want to switch off from the Arsenal. Even somebody like me, whose job revolves around covering Arsenal, it makes me disinterested. Like... My missus said to me today, what are we doing at the weekend? When are you working? Are you busy? Um, et cetera, et cetera. And I am working on Saturday. I'm, I'm covering a game in the Scottish Premiership between Celtic and Dundee. Um, but then it dawned on me that Arsenal aren't playing. And I know that I knew that Arsenal weren't playing, but it just it kind of hit me like, actually, my weekend is not going to be consumed now by an Arsenal fixture. And because of the way the last few weeks have gone, I was glad. I was happy. And as a football fan, football should always make you happy. Football, wherever possible, should should make you happy. And that's not always the way because sometimes you lose. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it takes weeks and times, uh, weeks and time, sorry, to get over a particular disappointment. But if you don't have excitement going into football before you've lost, before that disappointment comes along, then what the hell is the point? And the the kind of knee-jerk and reactionary nature of some of our fans, not everybody, drives me absolutely insane and puts me off. It puts me off wanting to jump on a podcast and talk about the Arsenal. It puts me off wanting to go on Twitter and, and sharing my thoughts on a particular subject. Because the reaction that you get from people who are of the opposite opinion to you is just so toxic. Like, I read stuff on Twitter every day that I strongly disagree with when it comes to the Arsenal. If I disagree, I just scroll past it. That's your opinion. You're entitled to it. Have it. No problem. But I don't understand this culture nowadays of you've got to jump on everybody and hammer home your opinion. That's what causes divides. Because one person disagreeing with you and disagreeing with you in the wrong way will make you want to stand your ground more, will make you want to, you know, fight your corner even more. And that only widens the gap of division between the two sides. Jack Burgess says, there's such thing as toxic positivity as well, Harry. Yeah, there is. There is. Of course, you know, I don't know about this term toxic positivity, right? Because that's a term that's thrown at me a lot. And I I think that it's nonsense. But I do think there are people that do only look for positives and as a consequence are, are blinded and, and miss maybe key things. But I don't think I'm one of those people. I don't think that I 
look so hard for positives that I completely miss the negatives. I spend so much time on this podcast, particularly after defeats, uh, looking for the negatives, looking for reasons as to why we might have lost it. In fact, I bring up screenshots of the game and show you guys what I think could have been done better in order to prevent that situation from occurring. So, yeah, there are people that choose not to talk about negatives, but that's the way they choose to support their football club. And that's not right. It's not wrong. And it's not for anybody else to tell them whether they're too positive or whether they're too negative. And my issue is not with people that are too positive or too negative, is with, with people that just overreact, whatever side of the fence they're on, i.e. if we win a game, like we perform really well against Man City, we lose the game. But there were people who made that out as if Arsenal had shown that they were ready to win the Premier League. And there were other people who made it out as if it was the end of the world. It's the two spectrums, two ends of the spectrum that drives me absolutely crazy. Right. Um, anyway, I didn't mean to go down that rabbit hole, but it is um, <laughs> it is something that's been on my mind the last couple of days. And, and I've had lots of discussions, lots of conversations and lots of good conversations. But in and among that, you're always going to get those people that jump on you and say, oh, you're this and you're that. And, and they can't simply stand back and respect that you might have a different opinion to them. Uh, let's see what else, uh, people are saying in the chat. Rory, one of our members, how you doing, mate? He says, it frustrates me how quick we are to point the finger without seeing the other side. We don't know everything that goes on in the club. We just have to trust and back the boys. A agreed. And that's a big thing, right? And we're going to come on to talk about the Aubameyang situation a little bit later on in the show. And, um, and I think this is a, this comment really rings true in that scenario, right? That we don't know everything that's gone on. We don't know everything that's happened. And so it's impossible to, you know, completely or, or to be completely correct in our judgment and assessment of the situation. Um, JidF32 says fans are influenced by certain fan channels that use negativity and outrage to drive views and clicks. We drew against Burnley and certain men were melting down as if we'd been relegated. Agreed. The meltdown following a, a, a game in which we, did enough to win it. We just didn't, you know, we didn't take our chances. It, it happens in the Premier League. It happens to the very best. So, um, yeah, you know, completely agree that people need to just chill out a little bit. Junior Gunner says, my main worry is the results and the drop in performances this month. I couldn't care less if we don't make a top signing this month. I want to protect the little positivity I have with an upturn. And I think that's the most important thing now, Junior Gunner, that we do bounce back. I, I keep saying this. I, I don't know how many times I've said this over the course of the season, but it's not that we're going to be able to avoid all setbacks and all negatives and all bad results because we're just not at that level yet. But we have to bounce back from them quickly and we have to move from them, uh, move on from those disappointments quickly. And I think what's happened throughout the month of January, and it's not, you know, uh, an excuse for the results and some of the performances, but it's all about context. And the context has been that we've been very thin in terms of the squad. We've had players missing. We've had to put players back into the team prior to them being ready. Takahiro Tomiyasu, prime example of that. Um, when we brought him into the side against Liverpool, wasn't ready and now has picked up an injury off the back of that. We've been forcing players back to be able to play games, to get people out on the pitch and available and in the end, we've ended up kind of never actually recovering and never sorting ourselves out. And that's why I think the timing of this break in the Dubai training camp is just positive for Arsenal because it means we can go out there. It means we can go and, um, you know, freshen up. The team can spend some time together, uh, you know, ahead of what's going to be a real slog in the remainder of the season. And uh, yeah, you know, the, the, um, the upturn or the, the upturn that we're hoping to see is, is going to be key and it needs to happen sooner rather than later. Uh, technical teams is the word you're looking for is context. Fans should always strive to analyse with context and reasoning. That way, all views will be respected rather than emotional or reactionary ones. Uh, Michael Mellon says completely agree, but it's not just a problem within football. It's society in general, social media, culture. Everything is black and white and we have to make our opinions based on who we follow. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It is a problem 
in modern culture. Um, it, it's completely one way or the other, right? If you support Brexit, you're a racist. If you don't support Brexit, then you're left wing. Like it's it's like, but that's not the case, is it? Like you can have your reasons for supporting one thing or another. I don't support Brexit, but it's nothing to do with the reasons that people who do support it would label me with. And that's the frustrating thing. Like you can have an opinion without necessarily falling into a specific category. And, and that just seems to be lost on people. But yeah, anyway, enough about that. Let's get on to the transfers. But a great chat uh, at the start of the stream, as always. Don't forget, if you are watching us live, hit the like button because there's over 250 of you watching us live right now. You've just watched me listen to me waffle about Arsenal in some way, but the wider context of things, I guess. Uh, in another way, but please do hit the like button. 54 likes on the board, 250 of you now with us across the multiple platforms. Let's get that up to 100 at least. Right, let's start off with the transfer stories. Uh, and let's begin with the story regarding Artur. Now, the Juventus midfielder has been heavily linked with a move to Arsenal for quite some time now. It's been in the pipeline, this one, we're told, for a couple of weeks now. However, the move is yet to materialise. Artur finds himself out of favour at Juventus. He isn't exactly flavour of the month with Max Allegri. And it was thought that Juventus would be quite open and willing to allow him to leave. However, a report came from David Ornstein yesterday, which claimed that Arsenal's chances of landing Artur on loan are diminishing. He said they want him until the summer, but Juventus wanted an 18-month loan deal Eventually, Edu and Cherubini, one of the Juventus representatives, aligned on 18 months and for there to be a buy option clause inserted at 40 million euros. Now, that's an option, not an obligation. However, the Arsenal hierarchy are reluctant. And as things stand, it's not happening. Interesting bit here is not about Arta. I'm not massively enthused about the idea of him coming to the club anyway. I think he's a good player. I think he's got a lot of ability. I think technically he's, he's a wonderful footballer, but I don't know he's the right fit. And I don't know that we've got time to wait for him to adapt to the Premier League. I think at times you could argue he struggled with the physicality in Serie A. So what's going to happen here? Um, but I think the interesting bit and the bit to pick out here is Edu and Cherubini align on 18 months. But the Arsenal hierarchy are reluctant. Well, hold on a minute. We thought that Edu and Mikel Arteta were in the driving seat when it comes to these things. We know that Richard Garlick's coming. What role does he have? We know that he has some role in terms of negotiating things. We know that Vinay Venkateshim is in and around the place as well. Does this mean that the Cronkies are not, not happy about it? Does it mean that the Cronkies are reluctant to do it? because of maybe bringing Artur's wages onto the wage bill for that 18-month period. It's not really clear who exactly has vetoed this transfer or who exactly has expressed concerns about it. But what is clear is that maybe Edu doesn't have complete autonomy and full control over this kind of stuff. And if we thought he did, which a lot of us did, this kind of indicates otherwise, doesn't it? So really, really interesting point on that story. Um, look, I don't want our tour for 18 months. I was very much of the opinion that if we were going to get him in, in particular, it was going to be a stopgap. It was going to be bringing somebody in, in the short term to provide us backup. But the need for that at the start of January was much greater than the need for that is today. Because Xhaka's returns, Partey returns, El Nenny um, is is obviously at the AFCON, but he'll be back uh, in in a couple of weeks. Um, Nicola Pepe is on his way back from the AFCON after uh, Ivory Coast crashed out of the competition last night. So the point I'm trying to make here is that um, the need for the midfield recruit has pretty much passed. What I'm saying is we've been through the worst patch without a midfielder. So why would you now go and bring one in for the sake of it? And why would you accept terms that don't suit the club, particularly with regards to a player who there are question marks around his suitability? And I think that's certainly the case with Artur. So really, really interesting stuff that um, with regards to the Artur deal, the fact that Edu was willing to concede 
and, and accept the terms on the table from Cherubini and Juventus. But the, the club uh, appear to have um, expressed the concern over that deal. Does that show that there's fractions in the Arsenal hierarchy, that not everybody's singing from the same hymn sheet? I don't know, but that's the big takeaway for me from that story, as opposed to the fact that the Artur move um, looks uh, highly unlikely now. 18-month loan as well, as Sam says, nah, not for me. You don't bring someone in on an 18-month loan. You know, there's try before you buy, and then there's just taking the piss. <laughs> I mean, we, we see some of those loans, don't we, happen abroad. Uh, we see them in Italy, two-year loans sometimes, but not for me. It's not the way to go. It's not how you plan for the long term. And, and one of my big worries and concerns around some of the deals that we've been linked with, deals that feel like stop gaps and deals that feel like short-term fixes, is that they're contradictory with, uh, sorry, they're in complete contradiction of the approach that we've seem to have applied in the last 12 months or so. So why do we want to go back to that? You know, we've tried to do a couple of those under Edu and Arteta and they've not really worked out. So why would we want to go back down that path? That's my issue. Does it mean that because of this report, I've lost complete faith in Edu though? No. Um, you know, as I've said before, it doesn't matter who you are, even the greatest technical areas uh, technical, technical errors, even the greatest technical directors get things wrong. Even the greatest technical directors make mistakes. And, um, you know, he's, his CV is not completely clean, but he has obviously brought some good players in as well. Uh, Sam with a great point. He says stinks of Ceballos 2.0. Yeah. You know, I, I don't disagree with that at all. So it looks like Arthur will not be joining Arsenal between now and the end of the window. That's the latest information that we have from David Ornstein. And I noticed the comment right at the top of the stream where somebody said that um, these stories that we're going to talk about are not true. So stop putting fake news out there. I just want to make it clear. I'm not the source, right? I'm just discussing stories that are doing the rounds at the moment, sharing my opinion of them and, and chatting about them with you guys. So it's not me claiming that this deal is in the toilet. It's David Ornstein. Um, and, and David Ornstein is is normally very, very good. So, um, yeah, it's a bit harsh to say it's fake news uh, necessarily. Let's uh, let's move on. Let's talk quickly about Jack Wilshire. Now, there have been calls uh, from some people uh, for Jack Wilshire to be signed. And, and I must admit, although initially I was against the idea, I did have a little bit of a wobble midway through January when we were desperately short in midfield. And I did at least start considering the idea of Arsenal bringing Jack Wilshire back in as a player in the short term. Uh, but it looks as though Jack Wilshire is attracting interest from a number of clubs, including Monza and my favourite Greek club, AEK Athens, as well as a number of championship sides. He is willing to leave the training camp in order to secure a move uh, away from Arsenal. Well, he's not technically with Arsenal, but you know what I mean, in the next couple of weeks. Now, Jack Wilshire, I mentioned the training camp. He has travelled with the team out to Dubai and uh, will be uh, working with the guys and Mikel Arteta uh, throughout the course of that training camp. Unless, of course, something comes up and he's forced to leave in order to conclude a deal. Looks as though we are making progress in our pursuit of Matt Turner. The uh, American goalkeeper is uh, said to be a target for Arsenal, currently plays his football with the New England Revolution. Um, the report came out and then it's all gone a little bit quiet. Uh, but I'm expecting that that one will probably be done between now and the end of the window. That's what uh, I've been told. That's what a lot of um, the, the, the good sources, the big sources are telling us too. So I wouldn't be surprised if Matt Turner becomes an Arsenal player between now and the end of the window. I uh, wanted to quickly touch on the Victor Osimen stuff. Uh, Victor Osimen being linked with a move to the Gunners. And of course, Osimen uh, has proven himself to be a key member of the Napoli squad this season. Uh, suffered an injury which kind of threatened in a lot of people's eyes to derail Napoli's season. But he's back now. He's available. Um and it's understood that Napoli would be willing to sell Victor Osimhen for around about 70 million euros. Now, look, we clearly have the money or, or can raise the money um, if we think that it's for the right player. Remember, we were going to put that money down for Dusan Vlavic. Victor Osimhen 
is somebody that I'm still not sure about. It's weird because he scores goals and he gets lots of plaudits in Italy and there's lots of praise around him at the moment. Nigerian striker. I'm just not 100% sure about Victor Osimhen. If you look at his season uh, so far, he's played uh, 13 matches in the Serie A this season, managed five goals. Remember, though, he did spend some time out as well. Uh, on average, scores every 179 minutes, uh, 0.4 goals per game, averages three shots per game and 0.8 shots on target uh, per game as well. Um, look, I, I like the player. Um, not sure, though, that he gives you what I expect Mikel Arteta will be looking for with regards to... Um, with regards to link-up play and build-up play. Now, we, from what we are led to believe, that's a big thing for Mikel Arteta. I think it's not just from what we kind of hear and read, but the fact that he's often preferred Lacazette over Aubameyang through the middle, even though, or even when Aubameyang was scoring goals and, and Lacazette maybe wasn't, um, that, that kind of is the biggest indication we've had, that build-up play and, and everything else that they bring is uh, is obviously really, really important. Um, you know, in the manager's eyes. And, and I wonder uh, about Osimhen. I don't know that he ticks that box necessarily. I do think, though, he uh, he is a good striker. He is very talented. He would add goals. Um, he's 23, plenty of room to grow, plenty of room to develop. But um, for that sort of money, I'm not sure enough to, to say that Arsenal should go out and do that deal. I was sure about Vlavic. I am more sure about Alexander Isak. And so if Arsenal were to spend that kind of money on those players, it wouldn't really raise an eyebrow for me the way it would if we were to sign Victor Osimhen. But the other thing to note is that this comes from a number of outlets in Italy. And of course, um, we know that Napoli are always, always open to selling players if the price is right. Uh, it's never been an issue uh, with them. They've always... Um, you know, they've always set a price. Normally, it's a really high price. But if that price is met, more often than not, Napoli do buckle. And Napoli do tend to allow players to leave. So um, it is one of those where I think that if we really wanted it, we could do it. But I'm not sure that we should really want it because I'm not entirely convinced about the player at this stage. Um, somebody's asked me in the chat, uh, where is it? Uh, John P. Ossiman has missed 12 games this season. Was that just the face injury? Or is this something recurring, Harry? So he did pick up a calf injury um, at the end of October, which kept him out for seven days. Then it was the cheekbone fracture that kept him out for a long time. That uh, accounted for 12 games that he missed this season. Um, and then, of course, he had coronavirus uh, at the end of December. So, no, I wouldn't say it's something to be massively concerned about his injury record. I think he's been unlucky, the cheekbone thing. And then, of course, COVID, a calf strain can happen to anyone. It's a muscular injury. Um, but yeah, not not anything really to suggest that it's a massive, massive problem. Again, last season, you know, he missed some games, but I think nine or 10 of the games were due to a head injury, which again can happen to anyone, isn't necessarily a recurring issue and coronavirus. So um, yeah, I think it's important to look into the actual reasons for those absences. And as you guys who listen to this or watch this regularly will know, I'm I'm really big on the whole availability thing. Um, so, yeah, but it's not something that really jumps out of me at me or worries me or concerns me uh, when it comes to Victor Osimhen. So um, that is uh, the latest uh, on him uh, coming out of Italy. Napoli willing to sell, I think, that this one is probably one of those, what I was talking about yesterday on the members podcast, for those of you that joined us, I talked about journalists sometimes doing what they believe to be quick maths and stabbing in the dark with regards to certain stories. And I certainly feel that's what's happened with Ossimen. Napoli would be willing to sell at 70 odd million euros. I think everybody knows that Napoli uh, given their position, would would entertain something like that. And of course, the fact that Arsenal missed out on Vlavic and obviously it would be turning their attention to a striker again, you know, makes this a really convenient story to write. So wouldn't read too much into this. Uh, another player that we're being linked with is Cody Gap Gapko. Cody Gapko, have I said that right? Uh, the PSV uh, winger. And I've got to be honest, I don't know a great deal about Cody uh, Gapko, but I wanted to have a quick look at 
some of his stats and stuff uh, for this season. So if I just share my screen for those of you uh, watching us live on YouTube, uh, he's a player that Arsenal is said to be considering. Currently uh, plays his football, as I say, in the Eredivisie with PSV Eindhoven, just 22 years old. Uh, plays primarily uh, from the left-hand side or through the middle. Has shown that he can play uh, in central positions too, central midfield positions, that is, uh, and feels like a bit of a winger slash striker, which seems to be a really common thing nowadays, right? Well, you know, you look at Manchester City, for example, and the way they operate. I think all of a sudden, because there are so few natural centre forwards like your Vlaviches, your Haaland's, your Isaks, and all those guys, what you're getting now is is a real increase in their pricing because of their rarity. And now a lot of clubs are seeking to fill that issue or fill that void or try and deal with that problem by bringing in winger strikers, if you like, um, and being interchangeable with regards to their front line. He's played 15 games in the Dutch Eredivisie this season, uh, managed six goals, um, 10 assists, which is pretty impressive as well. Uh, and he, he looks a handful, seems to cover a lot of ground based on what I can see. And just looking at his average performance ratings across uh, the last five games in the league, they're pretty impressive. And he's averaged a 7.63 out of 10, which suggests that he performs consistently at a high level for PSV. Obviously, big step up from the Eredivisie into the Premier League. But there have been plenty of players who have made that move in the past and made a big success of it. So uh, Cody Gakpo also being linked with a move to Arsenal. Another player that's been talked about is Aston Villa's Douglas Luiz. But look, if Aston Villa want to push on, they're going to see us as rivals. And I don't know that, um, you know, that, that Aston Villa would be willing to do that sort of deal mid-season anyway, uh, that would see Douglas Luiz come to Arsenal. OK, uh, I wanted to quickly touch on, before I take some of your questions, I wanted to touch on the Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang situation. Lots of people have been uh, sort of responding to the news that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang will not be attending the Dubai training camp. Uh, some people frustrated by that. Some feel that actually given our situation up front and the fact that we're one injury away from Eddie Nketiah leading the line and Alexander Lacazette appears to be blowing out of his arsehole that, um, you know, that, that we should be trying to reintegrate Aubameyang into the side. The fact that he's been left out of this uh, training camp, though, kind of suggests that whatever... Uh, bridges have been broken, uh, are so broken that they're not going to be mended and that he is indeed um, going to leave the club, whether it's now or in the summer, uh, not entirely sure. Um, you know, we hope, I'm sure that Arsenal can do something this window. And I guess, look, people will say, but we're leaving ourselves too short. Well, if we're not going to use him anyway, then you might as well get the money that you can get. Because what's the point in holding on to him? And, uh, and and allowing his value to depreciate further, plus having to pay his wages uh, over a longer period of time. But look, this is the thing with, with the Aubameyang thing. It's all good saying keep him. But if he's not going to play, he's not going to play. If his head's not in the right place, his head's not in the right place. And just like I said earlier on, none of us actually know the details and the ins and outs and the intricacies of this. Because if I'm taking an educated guess... I would imagine that it's more serious than Aubameyang just returning a little late from an authorised visit abroad. He stayed completely silent about it as well. And he doesn't strike me as the type of character who would stay completely silent about it if he genuinely cared about getting back into the team. I think there have been question marks about Aubameyang for a while now. And this latest incident has just compounded all of that. And, uh, and we're now in a place where we don't really know... Um, you know, what the best solution is. Yes, we need another striker. Yeah, we would probably benefit from his goals, but I don't think the team plays better with him in it because of the way he is and, and the way he, he plays the game. It's not a slight or a criticism on Aubameyang. I'd still say he's a better striker than Lacazette, but he just doesn't seem to fit in with the philosophy, with the plan. Um, and, and so we were always going to have to move on from him anyway. I think there's been a bit of a natural... Um, evolution that has led to us kind of moving away, um, you know, moving away from Aubameyang as the go-to man. Maybe he's not like that. Maybe that's contributed to him reacting in a in a really bad way. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but 
at the end of the day, all I will say is that this this omission from the squad or travelling party heading after Dubai is is the biggest indicator that there is probably no way back for Aubameyang now. And I think a lot of us probably knew that, probably felt that in our waters, but now I think this confirms it. And so uh, we're just going to have to accept that he's not going to be involved for the remainder of the season, whether he remains an Arsenal player officially until that point remains to be seen. Right. So those are the bits that I wanted to discuss just to round up. Uh, Artur deal looks as though it's off. Uh, apparently the Arsenal hierarchy not convinced by the idea of taking him on an 18-month loan deal, despite Edu uh, agreeing to those terms with Juventus. That's according to David Ornstein. Jack Wilshire has a number of clubs interested in him, and it won't be long, it seems, before he will be uh, joining somebody properly. Uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang not joining the squad for the trip to Dubai, which probably spells the end of his Arsenal career. Matt Turner uh, allegedly edging closer towards an Arsenal move. And I do want to get someone who knows the MLS uh, on the show if we do indeed complete this signing because I've read some really mixed reviews about Matt Turner and I'd like to hear from someone who knows a little bit more about him. Victor Osimhen also being linked with a move to Arsenal, although I think that's highly unlikely. PSV Eindhoven's Cody Gapko is also being talked about player that uh, appears on the surface to be uh, a very interesting talent and Arsenal also being linked with Aston Villa's Douglas Luiz as well as Wolves's Ruben Neves which we discussed yesterday. If you're listening on the audio we're going to take a short pause for a message from our sponsor. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever I'm your host Harry Simu and we're going to be taking some of your questions for the remainder of this show. Lots of you in the live chat. Uh, so please do get some of your questions in. I'd love to hear from you guys and we'll work our way through as many as possible for the remaining sort of quarter of an hour. Uh, just a quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, please do hit the like button. There's over 330 of you watching us on YouTube alone right now. We've only got 103 likes on the board. Let's try and get that up to uh, at least 150. I'd really, really appreciate that. So please uh, do get involved. Uh, let's see what you guys have got. Uh, welcome uh, to the membership, Ini. Um, thank you so much, mate. Uh, really, really appreciate your support. And if you want to become a member and get access to our Discord server where we're chatting Arsenal all day, built up a really great community in there that I'm really, really proud of. Some great people uh, who I'm sure you guys will recognise from the live chat, especially if you're a regular viewer. Uh, but you also get the opportunity to appear on our members podcasts, which uh, we're doing once a week where we bring members on uh, to discuss Arsenal with me uh, live on the show. And we did our latest one yesterday, which was really great fun. Uh, so please do check that out. And thank you uh, to Sam, Tariq and Trev who joined me on yesterday's edition. Um, let's take this super chat from Andy, who says, Harry, what business would you like to see in January? I'd like to see Arsenal bring in a striker. Um, you know, I, I've accepted the fact that we're not going to bring in three or four players. Um, I never thought we were going to bring in three or four players at the start of the season, um, as in, in January at the start of the season, because of how big we went in that transfer window. Although people were taken aback by how much money Arsenal spent and were pleasantly surprised in many ways. I think, you know, it may have been not forgotten, but people seem to kind of lose sight of the fact that this is a club that's run in a very specific self-sustaining way, as they keep telling us. And it was always going to be unlikely we were going to break the bank. I think we all got a little bit excited about the Vlavic rumours. And as a consequence of that deal seemingly falling through, we are feeling a little bit underwhelmed at the moment. But look, I think right now, given what I've said about the midfielders and, and players returning, striker is is the the thing that we need to deal with. It's the position in which we're most short, I would say. Um, but I'm, I, I don't want stop gaps. I don't want Arsenal to be bringing in players with a view to sing, you know, solely the short term. But I think in the striking position, we probably have to do that now. And um, and that means bringing, if you do bring someone in on loan, it means bringing them in until the end of the season. It means bringing them in, but having the ability to cut them loose if it's not working. And that's not, you know, bringing somebody in on an 18-month loan deal or any nonsense like that. I want players um, that are going to help the team, that are going to improve the team. Will Mikel Arteta look at 
Nicola Pepe as a potential striking option now that he's returning? Will he look at Martinelli as a potential striking option if we're in need, you know, particularly with Emil Smith-Rowe returning to fitness? Maybe. And I think that might put him off going and bringing someone in. But listen, obviously, I want Arsenal to make a sign-in. Obviously, I want Arsenal to improve the squad. But I also don't want Arsenal to be bringing in players for the sake of it and players that are going to disrupt the harmony within the dressing room, going to disrupt the team spirit and uh, and going to set us on the wrong path. So I am hopeful that we will bring in a striker. But if the right opportunity doesn't present itself, then it doesn't present itself. And we just got to get on with it. Forget about the transfer window. It's why I can't wait till it closes and focus on the football and challenge for what it is that we believe we should be challenging for. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Uh, Tom Soma says, uh, Harry, I know it's not 100% accurate, but on FIFA, Matt Turner has leader of men on his bio. Another leader isn't a bad thing. Yeah, that's right. Um, and obviously, the mentality thing is something that I think Arsenal have done quite well with in terms of identifying players of a certain attitude, of a certain character in recent times. And that's been one of the big um, culture shifts that we've seen. Uh, at Arsenal in the last 12 months or so. Uh, Essential Departure says, do you think we'll bring a midfielder in by the end of the window? I'm getting nervous. Honestly, my opinion is that we won't. It doesn't mean it's impossible. I'm not in the know or anything. Um, but yeah, um, I would say that this, uh, a midfielder is, is unlikely at this moment in time. Could change though, of course. Uh, Diego says, hello, Harry. Taking in account that Kia's, Kia Drabchan is Douglas Luiz's agent. Isak has a release clause. Do you think they can be the last cards in this transfer window? Potentially. Potentially. Um, look, never say never, right? We didn't think we were going to get Thomas Partey and then we got that deal done on deadline day. So never say never. But as I said right at the top of the show, the longer this goes on and as the days pass, then it becomes increasingly unlikely and increasingly difficult to get one of these big deals done, doesn't it? Business transactions of such high value rarely happen overnight. And, you know, we've seen in the past that in the world of football, things have been accelerated to meet deadlines. And so we know it's not impossible, but it, it still, to me, feels unlikely. Uh, going to pick up a couple more. Um, Inny says, hey, Harry, and thank you for your kind uh, super chat donation, mate. Really, really appreciate it. He says, hey, Harry, if the goal was top six, I don't think a top four push ahead of plans will make the board assess Mikel any differently. Yeah, agreed. And I think it was top six. I think it was to return to Europe while building this foundation for this new Arsenal with these new players and young players and developing this team, the manager developing as well. Look, make no mistake about it, okay? The Cronkies, they're not football people, okay? And we've had this debate back and forth a million and one times about their suitability to owning the football club. One thing they are not is stupid, okay? And, you know, maybe you could argue they're stupid in a football sense, but they knew that appointing a manager like Mikel Arteta who had zero experience out on his own, was a risk. It's an approach that they've adopted in a number of their sporting franchises uh, across the States where they've uh, they've gone out and brought in young, hungry coaches and they've given them the time to develop. And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But what I'm trying to say is, although the fans are holding Arteta and the club accountable and have very you know, specific goals that we want the club to achieve. Some of us think it should be top six. Others think it should be top four. Some say that top four should absolutely be the minimum acceptable. Others say that, no, that's not realistic. We're all sort of singing from different hymn sheets on that, but the club will be aligned. Okay. Edu didn't give us a target. He was reluctant to. He shied away from the question, I think, to avoid any unnecessary criticism that was going to come off the back of failing to achieve those those marks. But I think there is an objective and I think the club know what it is and they've so far resisted the noise from the outside, blocked a lot of it out and will make their decision based on the internal goals that they have. And I agree with you that if we finish in the top six, I don't think Mikel is going anywhere. Uh, what else uh, have we got here? Uh, Andy also says, that, what do you think of loan deals for Genie and Jovic? I think Jovic um, is is one that's been spoken about. We've talked about him a couple of times. Jonas Yeva joined us on the show, uh, La Liga expert, a few days ago. If you haven't seen that, check it out. Uh, to give us the download on Luka Jovic, maybe why it hasn't quite worked out for him at Real Madrid. But there was question marks 
based on what Jonas was saying around Jovic's character. And I think Mikel Arteta places a lot of value on that and perhaps will be put off. I don't know. Uh, Genie Wijnaldum, Premier League proven. We all know what he's about. Um, yeah, I'd welcome that. But I'm not sure that that's a deal um, that is uh, that is uh, on the cards, if I'm being honest. Uh, Wandering Mitchell says, greetings, Harry and all. Back from a fishing trip. Oh, man, you should have told me I would have come with you. Uh, I've always wanted to go for a bit of fishing, a bit of peace, a bit of peace and quiet away from the kids, away from the transfer window. Uh, I hope you're all good, man. And no, we haven't bought anyone yet. Uh, apologies if I've missed some of your questions. I am kind of skim reading um, as as talking through the podcast. Sports Genius says, Harry, what do you think about Darwin Nunez from Benfica? Mentioned him previously, talked about a few strikers that we should potentially be looking at uh, early on in the window, I think it was. We did a show based around that and he was someone that I mentioned definitely um yeah I'm a fan I'm a fan and I think he brings a lot of the uh sort of build up play and and the attributes outside of the penalty area that Mikel Arteta looks for too so yeah certainly would consider that one right I think I'm going to leave it there and we're going to be back later on on this YouTube channel live at 5 p.m. with the Athletics Art de Roche he will be joining me here on the Chronicles of Aguna to talk all things Arsenal. And I'm hoping to get another guest on to join us as well. Uh, but that's not confirmed yet. But Art de Roche is definitely going to be with me 5pm today, live on the Chronicles of Aguna YouTube channel and available in podcast format from shortly afterwards. So please do come over, turn your notifications on, subscribe if you haven't already. Make sure you join us for that one. Should be a cracking show. And uh, yeah, I look forward to it. So until then... Take care of yourselves. Check out our sponsors, Athletic Greens. Link is in the description. We'll be back very soon. Until then, goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.